Right. If you have a Bible or a smartphone, could you please turn with me to Psalm 120? We're reading out of the ESV, the English Standard Version. Um, lots of good Bible translations. We tend to use the ESV here. And Psalm 120 is where we are today uh, in our series, Summer in the Psalms. Very easy with most of the city and country just in various stages of holiday mode over December, January, and uh, February to, to do a psalm each week. And um, we have a series without requiring full continuity to really understand what's going on. Um, and Psalm 120 is part of the Psalms of Ascent, which we'll, we'll look at uh, now. And it comes immediately after the longest psalm in the Bible, Psalm 119. And we have here quite a downbeat psalm. Right? What a way to start the year. Last week we looked at a bold prayer for grace um, in Psalm 79. This week we're seeing a psalm that has a deep lament to it, a deep uh, dose of human reality. There was a longing for truth and peace. The psalmist prays from a place of distress, and he shares with God his desire for truth and peace as he lives in the world. So he prays from a place of distress, and he shares his desire with God that he might have truth and peace as he lives in the world. Let's read together uh, the Word of God. Psalm 120, a song of Asaph. In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you, and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I sojourn in Methesh, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. This is the word of God. The Psalms of Ascent are 15 Psalms between Psalm 120 and Psalm 134. Many people believe, wrongly, um, that these Psalms exist and are ordered in the, the book of Psalms to show the 15 steps of the temple and that those that would ascend the steps of the temple would pray a Psalm on each step and that these Psalms symbolize 15 uh, steps. There's not a lot of evidence for that. Far easier, uh, it would seem, is to just, and simply, would be to view these psalms as psalms read and sung by pilgrims or sojourners who go up to Jerusalem to worship at the temple. 
whether you're coming from the north or the south or the east or the west, to get to Jerusalem, to get to the temple, especially to worship at the big feasts like Passover and Pentecost, you have to go uphill. You have to ascend Psalms of Ascent. And so there's a, there's actually quite an easy um, connection between these Psalms and the New Testament church. We're not walking towards Jerusalem to worship at the temple. Our temple is Jesus Christ, the true temple, and we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, we're told in um, by Paul to the Corinthians. We ourselves are sojourners or exiles. The book of First Peter uses the term elect exiles, who walk towards the new Jerusalem in the presence of God in the new creation. The Apostle Paul brings on this principle by showing that we don't, as Christians, we're not tied to a land like the people of Israel were. They were bound to the land of Canaan, the land of, of Israel. Anyone who doesn't live in a land is a sojourner or an exile. Paul says in Philippians 3.20, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Where is the Christian citizenship? In New Zealand and in heaven. We're dual citizens. And so therefore, as far as the kingdom of God, we do not dwell in the kingdom of God physically, as it stands, our citizenship is in heaven. This psalm may be written by David. We're not sure um, about that. It would make sense, potentially, that um, David could be writing it as he's fleeing from Saul uh, before David became king, but we're not sure entirely. Regardless, the psalmist is in distress. He's having a hard time, and people are saying things against him. To break down these seven verses very uh, simply, first two verses, there's a prayer for help. Verses three and four, there's a judgment on the tongue. And then in verses five to seven, there's a lament, right? like a, a crying out. The psalmist is discouraged and distressed by his circumstances. Are you discouraged and distressed by your circumstances? Psalms are great. Great to read. And they're not always, and very seldomly actually, are they pithy little pop pickups. They're, they're just not that way. They show the, the reality of life. Sometimes life is hard. Sometimes circumstances are difficult. Sometimes we feel downcast and distressed. And I actually find it encouraging when I read the Psalms because I find myself reading some Psalms, especially like Psalm 88, and I go, I've never been that depressed. I almost feel encouraged because a biblical writer has found themselves in this, this place. What's he praying for? He's saying, deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. He's saying this generally. He's saying, deliver me from the lying lips and deceitful tongues. 
of others. And he's saying, deliver me from this in my own life, my own tongue. He wants to be free from lying and deceit. He doesn't want it in his life. It affects him. That's the main sort of picture of the psalm. It's the main topic of the psalm. I could preach this and say, preach a psalm about telling the truth. In some ways, that is what it is about. But it is showing here a longing for truth and for peace. Scripture says a lot about the tongue. Scripture says a lot about lying. Scripture says a lot about deceitfulness and slander and all those kind of sins of the tongue that destroy. Psalm 52, verse 2 to 4, it says, Your tongue plots destruction like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit. You love evil more than good and lying, more than speaking what is right. This, you love all words that devour a deceitful tongue. A picture of the mouth devouring. It makes sense. Mouths devour food, but they can also, the words that come out of a mouth can devour and destroy. King David in Psalm 109, as Israel's king, speaks about his enemies. He says, For wicked and deceitful mouths are opened against me, speaking against me with lying tongues. They encircle me with words of hate and attack me without cause. This psalmist is praying against such things. Life's not going well. He's having a hard time because of who he is surrounded by. There's two reasons why he's downcast. Firstly, he's living in the world with people who lie and are deceitful. Do you identify with that? A couple of like, amens, like I can see it in your faces. And secondly, verses 5 to 7, he says he's, he's distressed because he's absent from the house of God and he's absent from the people of God. He's living amongst unbelievers. And so he prays. I want you to notice in this kind of psalms, notice how he prays. He prays to God with a real honesty, a real honesty about the condition of his life and soul. Things aren't good, God. Here's how I feel. Here's how I am. That's a wonderful uh, joy uh, in prayer. You don't have to put on an act. God knows. We pray with real honesty to how we are. Then in verses 3 to 4, he pronounces a judgment, and pronounces a judgment on the tongue. It's a judgment on tongue, and it's his two crazy, strong pictures. The judgment on a lying tongue is like sharp arrows. Do you understand that illustration? Sharp arrows kill and hurt. And then it says, with glowing coals of the broom tree. Now, there's a cultural shift here. Um, South Africans and people that smoke meat understand this. Um, charcoal comes from trees. Trees make glowing coals, right? Not gas barbecues, right? So they didn't have those in these days. But so you've got sharp arrows as a judgment on the tongue, and then you've got charcoal coals from that come from a tree, the hotness that is part of the judgment that 
on the tongue. And it makes sense because the tongue brings pain and disorder. I have to read this. James 3, if it's coming to mind. James 3, verse 5. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. How does that not convict you? Lying, deception, slander, which is deliberately demeaning a person's character and reputation, a violation of the ninth commandment to not bear false witness. God cares about truth because he is the God of truth. In him there is no shadow and turning of change. He's always truthful, always right. The ninth commandment exists to not lie because we're created in the image of God and therefore our relationships ought to be characterized by truthfulness because the God who created us is true and the true image of God, Jesus Christ, is full of grace and truth. You know, people say lying. If you don't know, it doesn't hurt you. So I kind of try and justify things. Which says, sins of the mouth, sins of the tongue, destroy relationships, they destroy homes, they destroy communities, they destroy churches. Deception is evil. Lying is evil. Slander is evil. We need to hear this. I need to hear this. We need to know this. There's a judgment. There's a coming judgment on the tongue. And so the psalmist laments the situation that he finds himself in. He says, Woe to me that I sojourn in Mesesh, that I dwell amongst the tents of Kedah. Mesesh, Genesis 10:2. the sons of Japheth settled there, talking about modern-day Turkey. Kedah, talking about Arabia. He's saying, what he's saying is, I dwell far away from Jerusalem. That's what he's saying. I dwell far away from the temple. I dwell far away from the people of God. I am a believer who is far from home. And this shows us that the heart cry of a Christian, and I hope it is with you, the heart cry of a Christian is to be with other believers. You ask me to name some of the worst times of my life I will remember one weekend where nothing particularly bad happened, but I spent many, many hours in a car with a bunch of non-Christians. And by the end of it, I immediately went and found 
a Christian family and said, can I just have a meal? I'll pay for it um, with you. Because I just wanted to be around Christians because I felt like a fish out of water. This is what he feels. He li- believers live in the world surrounded by people that don't believe the same things as them. And in it, we do not feel truly at home. So many times we see people that aren't Christians as being genuinely on the outside quite good people. It is true that those who hate truth bring war and destruction to various degrees. And the people that bring the most deceit and lies are those that live in a way that God has not called them to live. Christians, the believers, to be one who is known for truth and peace. And so, we have to understand that as we live in the world, if we're sojourners and exiles, we should expect false words to be spoken against us for whatever reason possible. There is to be slander and deceit, it is to be expected. And we should expect that as Christians, as being against Christians and against the church. I was struck by the end of the book of Acts when I preached it. The Apostle Paul comes into Rome to preach and to teach there. He walks into Rome, he finds a group of Jews, and what do they say to him? We desire to hear from you what your views are, For with regard to this sect, Christianity, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. Right? In the very first century, everyone speaks against the church. That's normal. In Matthew 28, it was said after Jesus Resurrection, it says, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while they were asleep. So, people came up with an explanation for the resurrection and they said, Well, his disciples came and moved this gigantic stone out of the way and they stole Jesus away out of the or the Romans' professional executioners didn't actually manage to kill Jesus on the cross when they put him in there. They came up with any matter of lie and deceit to try and explain away who Jesus is and to speak against it. Let's begin tying this up. This prayer works for the psalmist, It works for all true believers in Old Covenant Israel that they might pray this prayer. But Jesus was a Jew. And Jesus made this psalm his own. Jesus was full of grace and truth, we are told in John 1.14. When he died, no deceit was found in his mouth. He is the only one who had a pure tongue. The only one who never slandered. When Jesus said to the Pharisees, Woe to you, brood of vipers, hypocrites! You whitewashed tombs! 
He wasn't slandering. He was speaking the truth. It wasn't nice, but it was right. Jesus never violated God's law. Arrows pierced Christ. In Matthew 26, false testimony was cooked up against Jesus. False witnesses were brought in that led him to the cross. He had done nothing wrong. But lies and slander were used to put our Savior on the tree. This psalm is Jesus' psalm. But now what about for us? What about for the church? I want to tie application in with how this prayer is answered. How is this prayer answered? For the people of God, how is it answered? Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. Firstly, in the provision for forgiveness from the guilt of sin. Each one of us has lied. Each one of us has slandered. Each one of us has practiced deceit. Jesus bore the judgment on that cross for our sins of speech. Deliver me, O God. Well, that's the first way it is answered. Secondly, provision away from the practice of lying and deceit. Having been forgiven, we are now called to live in a new way. We receive the Holy Spirit who sanctifies and gives us the desire and the ability to tame our tongue. The great thing. When we pray, Lord, thy kingdom come, we recognize that the kingdom of God, our Lord, who we live under, calls us to live in a place where we speak the truth of Christ and that we're truthful in our relationships. As we live amidst the world, Christians are to be a people who work for peace even when the world doesn't want it who stand for truth even when everyone else lies. That's the call. In Jeremiah 29, the exiles were told, Seek the welfare of the city, for in it you will find your welfare. We live in such a way, too. That though this world not be our final home, if we speak words of truth, and if we're known as people that don't slander and aren't deceitful, and are people who are honest will create a better city to live in. Seek the peace, seek the shalom, seek the welfare of the world. And it starts by seeking good and truth in our own words. Thirdly, there's an application and an answer to this prayer that in the church, the church will be a community that has been delivered from the presence of lying and deceit. Right? We get this. I make this point over and over and over. The church is to be a community of people that is known for truth and peace. And it's not surprising, I think, that when we get to the end of the Psalms of Asen, in Psalm 133, second to last one, it says this, Behold, how good And pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell in unity. We get that? You know how that happens? 
with truth and grace and no slander and no lying. The church is to be a group of people that are delivered from and seek to work against lying and deceit. That characterizes us in a new way. And then final deliverance, of course. Revelation 21 and 22. In eschatology, there is a new creation. There is a new Jerusalem where there is no more lying and deceit and people are together with their God. Jesus Christ, the innocent one who has died on a cross because of the lying and deceit of others, inaugurates through his death and resurrection a new creation. And all those who repent of their sins and trust in him shall be part of it. But he has earned it through his blood.